Good morning. I'm Andy Mayo. Uh, I'm with MBF, formerly known as Medical Benevolence Foundation. We're trying to just transfer over to our three letters, MBF. Um, let me start with a quick prayer. I just made some notes, and uh, if, I, if you don't mind, I just want to start out there. Father, we ask this morning that uh, we might be blessed by your word, uh, that through this you might be encouraging to us in our ministry, and finally, most of all, that we might be challenged in our vision for our spiritual ministry. In your son's name I pray, amen. So my objective this morning is we did uh, about two years, 18 months ago, we uh, went out and did a survey of mission hospitals um, around the world. And our objective in doing that survey was purely self-serving. We were, we were just interested in finding out, are there best practices? Are there people doing things that we should be looking at and should be considering and incorporating into our ministry? And so this is, this is the results of that survey. Um, for those of you in the room, our results are not st- statistically significant. I'm not a university professor. I'm also have never graduated from a theo- with a theology degree. So if I say something that uh, is incorrect theo- theological wise, please forgive me. So I, with those with those disclaimers, um, like I said, we were just trying to get a handle on what it would look like. At the end of the day, please also forgive me, we are not trying to tell anyone what to do. This is strictly sharing our results. Hopefully, you may see some things. You may say, hmm, there are some ideas that we could use. Even this morning, standing, talking with Jim, Jim Ritchie from Chigori in Kenya, I said, oh, that's a really good idea. We need to make sure we add that to the list. So we talked with, we surveyed 29 um, what you might call legacy mission hospitals, been around for many years, uh, 15 different countries. We had uh, 10 detailed responses. So we had 10 of those where we got a lot of detail and were able to uh, take away um, some specific information. And those, those, that was a range of countries, as you can see, all the way from Papua New Guinea to Haiti. Before we start, I want to remind us in this room of a couple of important factors. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had a pastor at a mainline church say to me, hey, I really think, you know, very highly of your vision for the 21st century, but I think you still got a 20th century model for evangelism. So she caught me a little bit off guard and... uh, The best thing about that was it made me go back and think through what is our real reason for being here and what is the justification and why do we do what we do? Well, if you look at the scientific literature, um, and this comes from a good friend of mine, Bob Snyder at uh, International or IHS Global that does sailing training. Number one, scientifically, Faith improves medical outcomes. And there is a whole bunch of research, scientific, peer-reviewed research that that has been done that says if you have faith, now, you might say it doesn't matter what faith, but if you have faith, you will have better medical outcomes. Proven. Okay? Number two, the integration of spiritual care for patients improves their satisfaction with their care. Again, scientifically researched, peer-reviewed, I think it was the International Journal of Psychiatry, um, proven fact. So that sort of sets us up for why do we do what we do? If nothing else, scientifically, we should be doing this anyway. So, quick overview of the five lessons that we learned. There was a significant difference in, in definition of spiritual ministry and mission hospitals. There was a significant variation 
and in the investment and the importance placed, there was a correlation, duh, there was a correlation of investment with the impact. I guess that, I don't know if that's a significant finding, but where there's great, you know, and we'll get to what the impact was. Number four was interesting to me. There's a correlation between teaching hospitals and or hospitals with uh, expat missionaries with the level of ministry there. And finally, the, there is a significant correlation with the role of senior management in the level of ministry. And I'll, I'll walk through with you the details on those and what the, what the lessons are. First lesson, there's a, defin- a major variation in the definition of spiritual ministry. You go, okay, what's that mean? Again, forgive me, I'm not the theological guy. Um, I just, in my own parlance, created three different levels of where, when we surveyed these hospitals, they were sort of, they, they fell out in three different levels or three different le- ranges. The first one, let me just call for the sake of discussion, a chaplain program, much like chaplain programs here in the United States. It's generally sort of procedural, ceremonial duties, things like bereavements. You know, somebody, somebody dies, we've got to have somebody on staff that goes and talks to the family, right? Um, there's, in a, lot of, in a lot of organizations, there are the sacraments, to the extent that they're doing that. The, that's the chaplain's duty, uh, you know, once a year we have an Easter service. Guess what? Chaplain gets to do that. Uh, occasional in the hospitals that we saw at this level, there were occasional devotions, uh, occasional celebrations, like I said, Easter or Christmas. Um, they tended to have very limited full-time personnel. You'll see the numbers in a minute, but when I say limited, that means one person. Um, that one person, then, you know, you, duh, there was a limited amount of any kind of real counseling that went on with the patients or patient interaction. There was limited or no interaction with the medical providers. And there was, in some cases, there was some, uh, what I call materials distribution that might include printed or video. Maybe something was happening somewhere. Okay, so this, you think, oh, gee, this sort of looks like an American hospital, but this is, let's call this sort of the chaplain level, okay? The second level that we saw was a step up. Again, I'm not telling you what's wrong or right. I'm not, this is strictly a survey of what we found. So the second one, in addition to those chaplain duties, um, there at this level there was some, um, patient, patient and family counseling going on. Uh, there was some patient ward visitation and encouragement. So you had somebody who was doing some visitation with patients on the ward. Um, in these hospitals, there tended to be uh, departmental uh, devotions. And there was some encouragement and counseling with the staff so that the staff saw the chaplain as somebody they could go talk to. Um, in this level of hospitals, we saw that there was some occasional interaction with the church and the community, but that wasn't, wasn't highly integrated. It was just, they're out there, we're here, and occasionally we get together and talk to each other. At this level, we tended to see more than one chaplain, so the first level was like one chaplain for the entire hospital. This level had maybe a couple or more. And in this level hospital, we did see um, intentional distribution of materials like the Jesus video would be in a waiting area or there might be an opportunity for handing out Bibles or other printed materials. So some of that was going on at this level. Okay? All on the same page? The third level that we saw was what I called, again, this is, these are my terms, so forgive me, um, spiritual ministry. At this level, 
we saw this senior management um, viewed the spiritual ministry as part of the mission of the hospital, and it was included in the strategic plan. So when the hospital did a strategic plan, one of the objectives was spiritual ministry. And the senior management is regularly and visibly and, and, and visibly involved in ministry activities. Okay, so that's sort of this third level. The staff at this level sees themselves as part of the ministry. So you might say at the second level, the staff saw the hospital, the hospital has a ministry. At this level, we'd say, if surveyed, the staff would say, no, 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 I'm involved in the ministry. They're at this level, the hospitals at this level, they're definitely regular uh, departmental and entire hospital devotions. So without a doubt, you're seeing devotions in every department on a regular basis. And in these hospitals, at those departmental levels, they're actually praying for uh, patients and families. That was a characteristic we saw. At these hospitals, um, the spiritual ministry team is seen as integrated member of the medical team. Uh, spiritual elements are seen as part of medical care. Um, Jim Richie was telling me at Chagoria they do what one of the terms we've learned is spiritual rounding so that they actually have doctors and chaplains together rounding on the patients. You know, the connection in the head is those two things together. together. Um, hospital I worked at in Kenya the patient could not be discharged until the spiritual team signed off as well. Is that a terrible concept? So the doctor said, yep, patient can go home. Yep, going to get the permission from the spiritual team as well. That's really wild, isn't it? But the point was the, the spiritual team was interacting with the patient. In this case, it was a pediatric hospital, the patient and their families. And they wanted to make sure that Maybe that patient needed another day because of where the family was in terms of their relationship with the spiritual team. Crazy, huh? Um, number four, what we saw in these hospitals is training, that there is some type of ongoing training uh, for the staff in evangelism um, and or some discussion about personal commitments, that there's a discussion going on among the staff of the patients that are making a commitment. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with um, saline training, but outside the United States, that number of different hospitals, we've seen a real, in some hospitals that we work in, we've seen a revival of the whole hospital. When in, in, in Malawi, one of the hospitals did training for their entire staff, and in the course of training them, three of their members of the staff of the hospital gave their lives to Christ in the process of uh, saline training. The last, last item that you would look at for the definition for the spiritual ministry uh, hospitals is that they have extensive community outreach. That what they're doing is not on their own, but they see themselves as part of the larger church. Um, first and foremost is a referral of patients, discharged patients, back to a church um, for follow-up. So think of it. Somebody, somebody uh, maybe even comes to Christ while they're in the hospital. Who's following them up and who's discipling them when they get home? Uh, we saw in these hospitals a lot of a lot of instances where the hospital is doing outreach medical clinics and the spiritual team went along on the medical clinics. Um, and even in some of these hospitals, occasional events where the team from, a team from the hospital itself went out and participated in a, some type of evangelical event, evangelism, in, uh, in another community. So that, you know, the, it's like, uh, you might have 
people that are employees that are engaged, and they, they get together and they go, we want to go participate in this thing that's going on, and it might not even be related to the hospital at all. So those are the three levels that we saw. Um, variation in investment. Number one takeaway from this is that the total number of chaplains on staff is not a key indicator in a, a great ministry. So you can have three, four, five, six chaplains on staff, but that's not necessarily that you can look at that and say, oh, well, that, was, that didn't correlate with excellent ministry. What we found is it's best viewed by the number of full-time spiritual team on staff per bed. So if you break it down that way, and you can see our range here, uh, one hospital had one spiritual team member per six beds, and to the other end was one per 145 beds. So that was, if you think about one chaplain and 145 beds, that's pretty ceremonial, right? It's not like they're going to round an all 145 people and have an in-depth conversation with them over the course of a day. The ideal, it seemed to be a break right in the middle, um, at least on who we surveyed. Again, it's not scientific, but it seemed to be a jump somewhere about one per 60 beds. So if you had some type of spirit, lower than that ratio of one per 60, that seemed to be sort of the breaking point of where you saw some of these other things uh, begin to happen. And I put a note here, that's Occupied bed, not um, just simply the number of beds. You know, you can't, some places got a thousand beds, but only 200 are occupied. So you, you know, it's, sorry, I have to, you know, disclaimer, I'm, I'm a recovering hospital administrator, so. <laughs> um, the range that we found, and I apologize, um, this is just a listing. If you want to go on medicalmissionnews.com, medicalmissionnews.com, this, everything is up there. So if you want this, you go up to medicalmissionnews.com and you can, and, and you can pull it down. Um, so there was, we tried to break it out and the goal was to give you the complete laundry list of everything we found going on. And hopefully that you might take that and go back and take a look at the list and say, oh, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Or do we want to think about this? Do we want to think about that? Um, you know, that it sort of breaks down sort of chaplain kind of duties um, to spiritual ministry uh, teams so that there are things that are going on with their teams. And then there's general things like training. Okay. So then the next one was, well, what are the barriers to medical ministry, to spiritual ministry in mission hospitals? Some of these are obvious, but it's interesting. Number one, number one on the list was the difficulty in, get, in getting the hospital administration to take the lead and take responsibility for a vibrant um, vision for the hospital. You know, it sounds sort of obvious, but there's a lot of mission hospitals, especially that we work with, that have sort of, they are progressing, and the further, the more uh, successful they get, and the more sophisticated they get, the spiritual ministry seems to be a afterthought or something that we used to do. So it becomes more difficult uh, to get the hospital administration to say, no, nope, no, nope, this is my job. Uh, number two barrier, and this was self-reporting, um, was their difficulty in getting the local church or the church denomination to see the hospital as a ministry opportunity. So in a lot of places where you have a church-owned uh, hospital, the church, that denomination, sees it more of an obligation or a social service than, oh, this is a key ministry of our of what we're doing. Um, 
let me jump to number four. <laughs> this, this, this is the indicator. Uh, untrained or under, untrained and undertrained chaplains. The difficulty tends to be that in some of these denominations, they have a pastor who isn't doing so well, sort of failing. His church doesn't like him, and they say, oh, well, he can go become a chaplain. <laughs> so that's an indicator of where the church really doesn't see the hospital as a ministry, but they see it sort of as a place of, well, we can get rid of our problems. We'll send them over there, and it gets it out of our hair. Um, number three on the list of uh, difficulties from chaplains and people in spiritual ministry was the difficulty in getting the hospital to understand whole person ministry, um, especially whoop, especially when many on the staff aren't Christians. Okay, you know, that's like wake up, legacy mission hospitals, quite a few of them now have people working there who aren't Christians. So you talk about Okay, how has the needle shifted? And it seems almost like an oxymoron, but it's true as these hospitals get bigger and more sophisticated. And, gee, we need a good nurse. Well, yeah, she's not a Christian, but she's a great nurse, so bring her in. And now what happens is you begin to veer off and you have a difficulty in getting the medical staff and the administration to engage in the conversation that this is whole person ministry, not medical ministry, or just medical care. So, the summary is, there's a significant difference in the definition. There's variation in in investment. The greater the investment, the greater the impact. So, the places that had more investment, which you could see through people in the ministry department, generally the more more impact or the more significant ministry you saw, so that's good. So we, if we do hire more people, we'll get more ministry. But it's not necessarily just chaplain bodies. That teaching hospitals, this was very interesting to me, and I don't know, it would be interesting to hear, <coughs> hear your comments, but teaching hospitals, where we saw teaching hospitals, they almost uniformly had more significant spiritual ministries. Interesting, huh? And where there were more expats involved, more ministry. Where we saw the least spiritual ministry is where there were no missionaries anymore. And the depth and impact is directly directly related to the senior management. You know, point point the finger at myself. Guess what? Hospital administration, senior management, your medical director. If they don't see it as their job, nobody else is going to see it as their job. So let me give you another couple observations that in the course um, of our research, in course of reading articles, and in course of looking through all of this, just some things that we saw. Pet peeve of mine. Westerners us in this room, are continuing to define and influence chaplain programs. My personal opinion, this is personal, you know, opinion is our influence is trying to recreate what we see in the United States versus a program that's appropriate for that culture. Okay? And a lot of times this is removing the evangelism so this, is, this has a lot to do with denominationalism. Um, we've already talked about that. The ministry in, a, in some, let me call post-missionary mission hospitals, is declining or disappeared. So the conclusion of that is somewhere along the line, there was a loss in transition uh, of leadership. So if you think about it for the few of us in a room that were 20th century folks, you know, that 20th century vision, there was a loss somewhere in the leadership in communicating the importance of why we were, it was, 
Peter Greer has written a book, if you haven't read it, a great book called Mission Drift, talking about organizations and how they drift. Um, last point, you know, I've, I've already covered less, less, less expat influence means there's less funding and less emphasis. However, the great news is in some of these hospitals that we surveyed, that's beginning to change. Um, in, in doing some research, one of the things we found is there, there appears to be fragmentation in spiritual ministry, in the, in the field of spiritual ministry. Um, and what is, why is that? Number one is because there appears to be assumption that Africa is homogeneous. So all of Africa is somehow the same. And if we have a program here, it can be the same program over there. Wrong. Many different cultures, many different approaches. Um, and it's not going to be the same every place. Number two is there's, and I think we all see this, there's a, there's a gulf between academic, so the guys over in seminary, um, the people who are employed, and the grassroots congregational ministry. There seems to be a gulf between those three areas. And that there is a... Um, the fragmentation, especially in Africa, is because there's a real diversity um, in practice across denominations. So if you think of it, um, the 1950-ish missionary model probably was a little white chapel with a steeple. And as the Christian church became more accurate, uh, more um, um, what's the word I'm searching diverse. for? Yeah, diverse, localized, grown up. It's much more charismatic. So, you know, the old guys like me, you know, sit in a pew and, and sing from a hymnal versus, um, you know, my, my buddies in Kenya that, you know, had the guitar at full blast. Generally, they didn't like it unless it was distorting distorting and was so loud it was distorting. You know, that was the category of, is it loud enough? Well, it's distorting it completely. Okay, you know. Um, the last um, observation that we found is um, through literature was there is seems to be a lack of recognized best practices, that there are few models, and what we saw was few organized indigenous trainings within countries so that uh, Jim was just talking about it. You know, they get these new guys that get assigned to be chaplains. They don't have a clue what being a chaplain is. And Jim was just telling me that they hadn't been trained, so the church in the country, there was no... And, and Kenya is a good example of many different denominations, but there is no... Nobody that's come together that says, here are um, some of the best practices approach and trained the people who are working in spiritual ministry. Thus, you get somebody assigned to the hospital and they come in um, completely, you know, trying to do their own thing. So that's, we saw that across everything. One other set of observations for you, um, just as a takeaway. Take uh, this is just as a reminder to, the, of, to those of us in the room. There's some basic common elements in Africa that are different than our Western approach to life. And you go, well, yeah, but that difference makes a difference in the spiritual ministry. Okay, so if you're not understanding the culture, you're not going to understand how the spiritual ministry will be different and occur. Um, sanctity, sanctity of life. Um, in African culture believes that an indi individual's life is abundantly lived when shared and hidden in the life of their community. Um, you know, a popular phrase in the United States is it takes a community to raise a child. We didn't invent that, and we don't have any clue what that really means, right? 
Um, there is a deep relationship in people's mind between illness, misfortune, and sin. I can't tell how many patients come into the hospital in Haiti, and the reason for their illness is because somebody had cursed them. You know, there was a voodoo curse, and that whatever's wrong with them is because of that voodoo curse. Even the Christians in the hospital still see spirits and ancestors as being an important part of the life of the community. That's just who they are. And in these other cultures, their life is experienced as a whole, um, holistically. So health becomes part of um, sort of being free from Illness is part of, you know, you're, you're somehow being blessed. I think we in the United States think that, you know, being healthy is just a God-given right, right? So, um, where does that leave us? Let me give you a few takeaways. Uh, I love this quote that we found in our research. This was from this guy that wrote this in 1995. An error comes to an end when it has lost its original challenges as the deepest motivation for its existence. And this has happened to medical missions. I thought that was, that was convicting to me. You know, here was some secular guy writing this back in 1995, but sort of accusing medical missions of having lost its reason for, for being. So the question for us is existential. Do we still believe that medical care is an essential element for the church to serve the poor and proclaim the gospel? Spoiler alert. God doesn't give us a choice. Okay? If you had any doubt about that, God doesn't give us a choice. Uh, Luke 9. Jesus is talking to his 12. He gave them the power and the authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out. So Jesus sent his own disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And, not and or, and. It goes together. So, the two are integrated. We don't have a choice. So the takeaway for you all is, we... As we, approach medic, as we approach ministry in a mission hospital or a clinic or a nursing school, we've got to pay as much attention to the growth of our spiritual ministry as we do to the growth of our medical ministry. Okay? We're, we're, we're intent on how are we growing, how are we improving our quality, how are we improving services, how, what new procedures do we have. Do we have those same growth plans and zeal for our spiritual ministry. What we found in this is, guess what? It is your job, not somebody else's. It's the engagement of anybody who's going to serve. It's your job to look after the spiritual ministry. It's not somebody else's. You know, getting the senior management engaged. They're Some of them are sitting there saying it's somebody else's problem. No, it is our problem. So you've got to make a decision. Are you in? Are you out? If we're going to to be in spiritual ministry, have spiritual ministry in what we do, we've got to be engaged. And the final takeaway would be, it's not necessarily our definition that's important. So us coming from a Western culture, but it has to be adapted, and it has to be their spiritual ministry, not ours. Thank you. Any questions? So I'm curious about your, um, you know, I'm, I'm a medical director of a hospital. So I'm going to give you the statistics. We have three chaplains and uh, 400 beds. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> but the question is, okay, so, you know, uh, 
but what, what's not clear to me is, you know, your sentence here, total number of chaplains on staff is not an indicator of good spiritual ministry, but, you know, you're, you're, you're recommending a 1 to 60. Yes. So that's, how does that, what do, you, what do you mean, when you saw 1 to 60 ratio, you saw what? Well, it, that seemed as, as I, as, as we just took sort of understaffed and well-staffed, that seemed to be an arbitrary point at which people fell into one category or the other. It's not a magic number, but it, for me it was, well, give me something that I can hang my hat on that says, am I getting in? But the important thing is, your sheer number of chaplains doesn't necessarily translate into great ministry. I've seen some hospitals where they had a whole bunch of chaplains on staff, but they weren't doing anything. So, you know, it's a caveat there. So maybe, maybe what I'm asking also is, okay, so you have used three categories, chaplain, pastoral care, and spiritual ministry. Yeah. And so you're finding at the level of 1 to 60, more likely the hospital is functioning in the spiritual ministry. Y- yes. That, yeah. If if higher percentage of people, higher percentage of hospitals uh, that had a one to sixty ratio also were likely to have uh, a, a actual spiritual. Correct. Okay. The, the ones the ones that were one to one to one hundred and forty five beds, they were barely getting by at the procedural level. Yeah. Okay. That's intuitive. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> Questions? Just a, kind of a, a, a corollary to that. Uh, I've worked in an organization where we, it's probably closer to the spiritual ministry end of it, but where it's, it's intentional from the top down and from the spiritual team that everybody can act as a chaplain with a patient at any given moment, including putting that on the paperwork for intake and discharge instructions from each stop along the way for whatever it is. Can I pray with you? Is there anyone to talk about? Do you want to talk to anybody else? And it develops, a, it's a culture that, that, yep. that is great. What country was that? This, this was both in India and the United States. Okay. A free clinic, a large free clinic. Okay. Sir? I just have a comment and question. So you originally presented your data and showed that you had a 34% response rate, response rate of detailed data, and I, I thought it was going to be all skewed of the people who were really involved. And I was actually surprised that, you know, like the people who took the time to respond were the ones who were doing a lot. Um, so I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised to see that you actually you had, had it from all three categories. And I, I guess I would have a guess on the other 60, what is it, 66%. I mean, you think they're just too busy doing the work to take the time and evaluate? Or, I mean, any thoughts on... I mean, you always get a low response rate, but this is, but for a mission hospital, this is a pretty big survey, right? I mean, we're, right. every one of those mission hospitals probably claims they're out there for this purpose. So you would think this is not like a random, you know, nothing survey. This is probably the most important survey they've been asked recently, and two-thirds of them didn't give you a detailed response. I mean, do you have any idea on that other than just busyness? Um, well, an easy one is... Uh, our access to them via email. <clears throat> so in a lot of hospitals, the chaplain doesn't even have an email address. And so somebody has to go track them down and get them to answer the questions and then respond. We, we had a little bit of a leg up in that we work with a number of different hospitals. So we had a little bit of a leverage to go ahead and get that response, we could sort of say, no, 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 you've got to give us a response. It wasn't purely voluntary. Um, now, what would be interesting, what to be interesting, I didn't mention, is self-selecting. They all said they had great spiritual ministry. That was, you know, in terms of whoever was responding said, oh, yeah, we got a great thing going, and then you got the details from there. So nobody said they had bad. Sir? always this sort of parallel um, leadership uh, shared by the CEO 
and the chief medical officer, is the interaction there, is that uh, important for the spiritual ministry of the, of the hospital? Um, the question is, is the interaction of the chief medical officer and the CEO important? Because the physicians on the staff usually identify more with the CMO. Right. Um, I can't answer that question from the survey. Um, in a lot of African hospitals, the CMO is the CEO. Um, so that's in the same person. Um, but I, I can't tell you from the results of we didn't look at sort of the hierarchy there. And so that leads to the next question that I had, which was, uh, are there any uh, meetings or organizations of CEOs of mission hospitals so they could kind of share some of this information and encourage one another and train one another? No. So the question is, are there any meetings of uh, CEOs in mission hospitals uh, that they could share and train this? No. Uh, you know, I, Jim, are you aware of any... Uh, I'm not sure that there's any training for hospital CEOs, um, but this is this this is a topic that is just beginning to sort of get pushed up and said we can't do what we've always done. Um, are, you, are you familiar with this book? This is by our uh, plenary speaker uh, Charles Fielding. It's called Preach and Heal, and it touches a lot on the kinds of things you've been discussing. No, I'm not, but okay. I should be, right? Yeah. It's been out ten years. <laughs> talk about successful spiritual care or spiritual ministry, um, how do you define that? The spiritual ministry. Are you talking about number of people who claim to be converted or um, number of conversations that are kind of spiritual? Great question. Um, how do you define great spiritual ministry? What are the outcomes or the impact that you expect to see? Um, oh, it'd be lovely if you could just say we're going to keep a chalkboard and count conversions, and that will tell us. You know, what's the story about? You know, that if you counted the number of people becoming Christians in Kenya, it'd be three times the total population, or something like that. Um, so I got over that a long time ago. Um, for me personally. Um, Having, uh, let me, I give you a bias here. Having been through this, the the sailing training, it teaches us that everybody is on a journey to God, and we're not all called to be harvesters, but there are times for planting the seed, cultivating the ground, watering, all of those processes, and that we are called to interact with a person where they are and removing a barrier as they, in their journey to Christ. So some of this is not measurable, but the presumption is, is that we're interacting with a patient in their family with the goal that they're on a journey to Christ. Um, so to me, the measurement is, are you, are you having a discussion, an appropriate discussion and an impact to the extent that that patient will allow you? Um, and some of that is anecdotal. Um, at Chigoria, I believe it was Chigoria, uh, there, was a Muslim, there was a Muslim patient, a Muslim family, and the young man became, uh, I believe, a Christian while he was in the hospital. And now his parents, when they bring him back to the hospital, they say, oh, oh go get, the, go get the, the chaplain because they're friends. Right? Is that, is that the correct story? That, to me, is the picture. Um, when we were in Kenya, we had a Muslim family bring gifts back to the hospital only because they had such respect for how they'd been treated. So, so is that a, I can't count that, but that, to me, is a measure. Jim? Um, I thought I might share an insight, um, or a, a insight. Um, back in February... Samaritan's Purse had a conference and they invited mission hospital chaplains from all over the world 
who were, who were English-speaking, and these were hospitals that SP support, so they had to have a spiritual ministry, right? So they invited them to come to Kenya, and here was a, a conference for mission hospital chaplains. And they were from all over. We had Papua New Guinea, India, uh, Pakistan, Egypt, all through Africa, South America. Um, and one of the, um, when we were talking with them, one of the first insights we got from them was exactly as you said, the training was inadequate. Um, many of them were volunteers. Um, less than half of them had had any training in how to be a hospital chaplain. And none of them said that they felt like they'd been fully trained in how to be a hospital chaplain before they came. So that's something that we really need to be about, I think, is, is helping them uh, helping them get trained in it. So I think that, that was right on. The second thing that I think is important for us to know is that very few of them felt supported at all. They were in that sort of role where um, they were expected to pour out to the patients, and no one was hearing them. No one was praying with them. No one was hearing it. And we, you know, we think that they were they were prepared to be pastors, and now they're in a place where everyone is sick, everyone is suffering. And, you know, all these people are dying, and the bereavement, the burden is crushing. And so, for us to be involved in helping them was a, would be a very good thing. Um, and uh, along those lines, being involved with the medical team, so many of them felt like they were divorced from the medical team, the chaplain's department, and medical department. Um, but when they were validated by being part of the medical team, it made a big deal. So that's one of the reasons that at our place, if you come, um, before you start clinical work, you spend a half day going around with the chaplains and learning how to pray with our patients in our context. Um, and so that's a wonderful thing. It, it definitely breaks down the barriers to being able to, to pray with the patients, but it also shows that the chaplains are really the ones that are teaching the doctors and the nurses and everybody how to do this stuff. Validates them and just really This is one of the hospitals where they've taken seriously training, training their entire staff. So they've taken the staff, and I should say, the staff has taken this up themselves. So this wasn't an outside. This was the staff saying, we want to do this. And so they've now in the process of making sure everybody has these tools because they see that as part of their job. Um, I can't tell you out of the survey. <laughs> so I can tell you, I don't know if I can give you a good answer on that. Some of it is your expectation and what you bring to the system. And sometimes it's what the system teaches you. So I think there is, um, I think you have to marry that. I don't, that's not a very good answer, but. I don't know. You have to be intentional. Thank you. That's you are entirely correct. You, you have to approach it that it is intentional. Yeah. You it's not a you you can't it goes back to that. Guess what? Christ didn't give us a choice. It's you know, heal and proclaim. So the question is you look at you could look, you know, at yourself as a hospital, as that hospital is, are we proclaiming as we're healing? So. Yes, sir. Um, oh, so I'm sorry. I know um, so I was, you were saying that um, you saw that the hospitals that were on the lower end of, I guess, of success in spiritual ministry um, were the ones that had been had the least expat missionary saying that you're thinking that some of that was caused by lack of like handoff or like uh, partnership, I suppose. Um, so can you delve a little more to that? Like what, I guess, why would you think, like what, what are like parts of like, why would that, uh, what does that look like? Or what are the, 
things that might be causing the lack of handoff or the or having to consider that slash D scanning of the things that would um, that could change with that. Any recommendations for Okay, big question. Um, what, why, and how of that handoff, that transition, did that happen? Um, and again, you, if you if you read Peter Peter Greer's book on mission drift, some of that is all about um, being intentional at the highest level. So, um, for example. Our board, after reading that book, our board of directors now reads, um, intentionally reads our mission statement every board meeting before we start, just to remind themselves. They said, what can we do that just as a touch point forces us to remind ourselves why we're here? Um, I can't, you know, we are in a point, a significant point of transition from the 20th century model 21st century model, and so we at MBF are seeing in our partners a transition in a lot of hospitals that were once started and run by missionaries to now there are there is no expat presence at all. So you say what happened in that translation transition and translation? I don't know. It, it, some of it is. <clears throat> Your leadership should not be embodied in a person. So it should not be, if I'm the leader, it should not be dependent on me. A great of a, a mark of a great leader is that that becomes embedded in those who are replacing me. So one of these centuries when I finally leave MBF, the presumption would be, there's an organization that it's not dependent on me. Um, so that's, that could be one component. Patrick Lencioni, I saw a presentation this, on leadership this summer, and he said he hates the term servant leadership. He said because that would presume that there was any other type of leadership that was valid. <laughs> you know, that... It really, that for him, that is servant leadership is what it's all about. No, you're <clears throat> now you're way off. That's so. When I talked about a post-missionary hospitals, I'm talking about legacy mission hospitals. Well, I understand that. Like a good example is in Kenya. A great example in Kenya, you have Chagoria up on one side of Mount Kenya, which has robust teaching program and a lot of expats still there. On the exact opposite side of Mount Kenya is Tumatuma Hospital, who they haven't had missionaries there in years and completely different. The difference in spiritual care between those two hospitals is very significant. No, and that's what I'm saying. But why are we, why have we not been able to produce a hospital that when it comes over to a local leader, that that local leader doesn't see themselves as a missionary that then produces a missionary uh, there are a lot. There are a lot more smart people in the audience than me, so I'll let people answer that. I mean, so so I think part of it is it's, it's the basic philosophy that that the Reformation was supposed to change, and that is we're all supposed to be missional, we're all supposed to be ministers. But I think what's happened in uh, Western Christianity is that there's the sacred <coughs> pastor, there's the missionary, and then there's the rest of us down here, and and so. And so when we, when we, when America, that's our theology, why would we be surprised that our Congolese Baptists have that same breakdown and, and, and haven't really caught the vision that really we're all mission 
and we're all called to live missionally, um, and, and that that's, that's our purpose in life. But, uh, but, you know, it comes to the basic theology of are we, are we really all ministers or not? And that's, and that's a message that we all have to preach to ourselves to remind and also yep. to the Amen. people working. Careful. I think it's an overgeneralization. So um, my reference point is West Africa, French West Africa specifically, but on our Christian Academy of African Physician Board, we have Stephen Johanna, who's past secretary of the West African College of Physicians. His program at Evangel, now Bingham University Teaching Hospital, has produced many, many medical missionaries uh, from Nigeria being sent around the world. Uh, our hospital in northern uh, has sent five uh, missionary families to Guinea uh, where we now have started a new hospital, Compassion Evangelical Hospital, which is doing a robust spiritual ministry. And uh, yeah, it's only numbers, but 216 people as of a month ago have made firm confessions of faith in Christ. In other words, baptized disciple believers who were Muslim in, in two people groups of, of 7 million that when we started the hospital 12 years ago had a total of 300 known believers. So uh, they are, there are, there are you know, some real movements of the spirit in, um, in, in, in these Absolutely. Absolutely. hospitals. My question is, what's the difference in that hospital and the hospital that you're talking about is the difference? That, that's, my, that's my question. Yeah. My, my, my personal opinion is uh, intentionality. So when they catch the vision by seeing that this really is what the gospel is about, and this is what we as, as, as Christ followers are to be about, um, you know, that, that's their own. And, and we're just there to help them collegially. I mean, some of this is gospel. Some of this is the church everywhere. Why you have certain churches in a community that are creating believers that are going out to, to effectively spread the gospel and other churches in the same community are not doing that. So this doesn't, I mean, there is a cross-cultural component to this, uh, but, but there is also, this is human beings in a, um, you know, the maturity of the saints and the maturity of the body and everything else comes into play there. And one thing I also agree is that there are, there are not as many as we'd like, just like but there are some African, my experience again is in, in West Africa, there are some Africans that are leading the way in this area that are outstanding missionaries that you may not know about, but that's coming on and it's becoming a, a greater proportion of the mission. Thank you. Thank you. I share your burden here of what we're hearing, and it might be good to. Uh, at, a, at a future conference to have one of these guys, these indigenous leaders, to come and help flesh out what some of the details of what that transition looks like. Because I think intentionality is right, but I'm sure that there's a lot more that goes into that um, of giving hmm. over of power and authority and like so fleshing out those details of, so that we can all learn from that. Because I think that's all our our hope and our goal is to see this cross-cultural movement, you know, to, to cross cultures and then to thrive. Sure. And um, I think there's probably a, a whole lot we can learn from what you're saying, our, our West African brothers who've made that transition, and maybe can then teach us and influence, come back and teach the, the Western church what that looks like. Great. Last one. Out of time. I know that we're like-minded on this. I just thought I'd throw that in here. I think perhaps some of this also comes from the split that's happened in Western medicine where we tend to think of medicine for medicine's sake is ministry, is, is adequate ministry on its own. And there's the spiritual side and there's the medicine side. So I can just go do surgery and that will be a witness as to who Jesus is and that sort of thing. And that has happened a lot in medical mission. And I think that has allowed that split to occur so that people watch that and they say, oh, the doctors are too busy with their medicine thing to do the spiritual thing. This is more important than that is. And so as that goes, the hospitals follow suit. But a growing number of people are saying, no, you know, we really need to get back to the idea that medicine and spirituality are wedded together. And when the medical people are praying with the patients and are, are asking,
the tragic part of that is, especially in Africa, their culture tends to be holistic. And so we are westernizing them from the standpoint of we separate it. So that's, that's my tragedy that I'm always trying to remind myself of is stop, don't, don't recreate our culture over there. So thank you all for being here. Good job.